in the month of May, we're talking about evangelizing the lost. This morning, specifically, I'm going to talk about worshipers, witnesses, and workers. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 19 and verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Now, there was a reason we understand that Jesus came. It gives us the reason in this specific verse. He came. Why did he come? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Scripture says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone whose heart is perfect towards him. Our God is seeking us out. He's seeking us out. Who is he seeking? He's seeking those that are lost. Those that are lost. The word lost is interesting because in the original language it carries these connotations. To be ruined, to be wasted, to be trashed, to to be destroyed. When you think about what sin has done... To each and every one of us, it ruined our life, it caused us to waste a lot of time, it trashed us or devalued us, it destroyed our self-esteem and our worth in many other places in our life. But it was for that purpose, it was for this reason that Jesus came, which tells me that God does want not want me to be ruined, he wants me to be restored. He doesn't want me to be wasted. He doesn't want my life to be futile. He wants it to be fruitful. He doesn't want my reputation or my life to be trashed. He wants me to have value, significance, and importance, not in and of myself, but through and because of him. And he doesn't want the enemy to continually destroy or take away from anything that is important to the quality of life that Jesus came to provide. Jesus is a redeemer. And then in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, this is Jesus' commission to all of us. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Everybody say, I'm on God's side. side. Let's say that again one more time. I'm on God's side. Well, if you're on God's side and I'm on God's side, and the only way we can be on God's side is through Jesus and through our faith in him, then the one who has all power and all authority is on your side. He said, all power and all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And then here's the commission. Go, therefore, with this knowledge and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, or I am always with you, even to the end of the age. Amen. So a couple weeks ago when we started this series... We looked at how God sees us in a message that I entitled, You Are. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, and it reminded us of who we are. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Why? That we should show forth the praises of him who has done what? Called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Amen for what the Lord has done. So God has done something for us in Christ that we could not do for ourselves And he says, you are. I'm so glad that I get my sense of identity and worth from who God says I am. You are, and I am because of Christ. You are a royal priesthood. You are a specific called out people. You are a holy nation. You are a people called unto him through Christ. So you are a separate people. I'm a separate people. And together, we're the people of God. I don't mean I'm separated from you, but we're separated from sin and we're separated from the ways or the influence of this world. It doesn't mean that 
we're not impacted by it, but it doesn't govern or lord itself over us. Jesus does. And that's something that we're learning about and learning how to walk in. So the we also learn with who we are uh, that there are some things that we have to be careful of when it comes to evangelizing or sharing the gospel with others, that three things really never work out for good. And that is when we try to fit in and be like everyone else, we're not called to fit in, we're called to stand out. We're not called to put our light under a bushel, but to let it shine. When we try to figure everything out, we're not very effective witnesses. And when we try to fix everything, we're not very fruitful or effective. And that is a lesson that I think all of us can identify with. I don't know where you fit in trying to fit in or figure it out or fix anything. But I think I checked each box when I was getting ready for the message. And I think, well, I've done, yeah, I can, yeah. And then I think to myself, why did I? And because it really didn't turn out that good. Let me share with you something that will turn out good as far as for the glory of God. And that is when we let compassion or concern for other people compel us. Not when we're trying to fit in, not when we're trying to figure it out, not when we're trying to fix them. But I've said this little phrase throughout the years, and it applies to every fruitful encounter that we have with someone who doesn't know Christ and that is let love lead. Yes. Let the love of God compel us to good works. And then last week, the message was chosen vessels. And uh, that was God's prerogative. He, we didn't choose him. He chose us. And so if you were on, uh, if you were going to tryouts and, uh, and you were standing there with a group of, of other candidates to be chosen for a team, uh, I'll tell you how benevolent, how good, how gracious God is, is that he chose you. Uh, and really, he chose everybody. Uh, he just took us all. He said, I'll, I'll just take you just exactly where you are. The change happens when we choose him. I mean, he's already said, I've chosen you. I've called you. I've appointed you. So that was his prerogative, and he demonstrated us. How do I know that he chose me? Because he gave his only begotten son. That is the demonstration of God's love that he chose me even when I was yet in sin. I wasn't even looking to be on his team, didn't even know I needed to be on his team, didn't know the significance of being on his team would make, and yet he chose me. And I liken this to uh, a time and a season in my life where we were in transition. We were moving from uh, Wichita, Kansas to Hutchinson, Kansas. My mom had received a promotion and now she had her own travel agency that she was going to manage. And and it was a really uh, great season for my mom as far as all of her hard work paying off. And so we packed up uh, our few belongings and moved up the road from Wichita to Hutchinson, which is just about a 40-mile drive. And, uh, of course, I enjoyed baseball. I really enjoyed playing the game. Uh, but we came moved in to Hutchinson halfway through uh, my sixth grade year. And so I, you know, you're breaking into a new school system. Uh, you don't have established friends. Uh, most of the kids that are playing ball are playing with their friends or kids that they played with for years. And so I'm the new kid on the block. And when the spring came, they had tryouts. And there I was amongst, you know, 
25 or 30 other kids. We were going to be uh, the next version of the Bad News Bears. And, and so we're there and we're playing catch. And there was a, a college student that had come back uh, to Hutch. He was one of our uh, really local sports heroes. And uh, Jim was playing baseball at K-State and wanted to come back and work on his family farm. Uh, they were wheat farmers. And uh, harvest is around the 4th of July. So he gets there and and he 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 wants to coach. He starts playing catch with me, and I told this story a few times, so not to belabor the point, but uh, when we started playing catch, he says, now, I get one of the first picks, and he said, I'm not the first pick, but I'm one of the ones, don't play catch with anybody else. And I said, okay, I won't play catch with anybody else. And he said, I'm going to pick you. And and the, the that just belonging, right, Wow, what a difference it made that he chose me. He played catch with me. He chose me of all the other kids. And I really didn't understand why he didn't want me to play catch with anybody else. And uh, until I, I was a little bit older, and that is that he saw potential in me. And he didn't want me to go to some other team. And uh, he wanted to sort of develop some of that raw talent that was untapped. And you know, when God chose you, he, he knew what he was getting. And he doesn't want you to go be a part of anybody else's team. He's chosen you. And, and he knows the raw material he's getting, but he knows the potential that's within that raw material, and he wants to develop it. And that's the way it is for each and every one of us. And the, the fun part of the story is we went from worst to first. It was an awesome summer. And uh, by the time that the uh, the tournament came, we were like, uh, you know, starting off the year, we got hammered by everyone. I mean, and we had mixed matched everything. Uh, our sponsors were like four sponsors uh, that so our our uniforms were all the same color, but our sponsor names were all wonky and different. It was just a great time that has nothing to do with the message, but just something that. Is stirring in my mind right now. So, amen. So, uh, it was God's prerogative. It was his appointment for his life. And, of course, we've discovered it's his power and authority that allows us to be effective uh, witnesses and ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation for him. So, uh, we also looked last week that we have a treasure in an earthen vessel. That treasure is the light and the knowledge of God's salvation. It's really the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that in this world we will face resistance, persecution. Uh, but we have a spirit of faith and therefore we don't lose heart because we don't look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For we have chosen to walk by faith and not by sight. And we are confident in God. So we make it our aim to persuade men for we are aware that all men must appear before the Lord. And all of that material is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where in 23 verses, there's 28 different times where the Apostle Paul says, we are in us, and that summarizes it right there. So today, 
we need to examine how you and I should respond to the grace and the mercy of God that we have received through Christ. So God has done something for us in Christ. Therefore, you are and I am his chosen people. God is doing something within us because there's a treasure in an earthen vessel. But this leads us to reciprocity. How do we respond to the grace and the mercy of God? In John's Gospel, chapter 4, we'll begin to answer this question. What should we do? How should we live? What should be our response to God's salvation? To him being good to us. John 4, verse 23 and 24, the setting is Jesus talking with a Samaritan by a well who is uh, struggling. And in verse 23, it says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. I I want to remind you that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And now God is seeking what? Those that worship him. And this is why it tells us this. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So this is an issue of the heart. God sees beyond just the outward uh expressions and he sees to the inward motivation and and I believe that the lifting of hands or the kneeling or the rejoicing or the shouting is a demonstration and a manifestation of something that's happening and has happened on the inside it's manifesting on the outside therefore we lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting we shout unto the Lord we sing and every believer has a song to sing Uh, scripture says that we should all sing and make melody in our heart to the Lord. It, that, those instructions that are given to us both in Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5 are not applicable only to those who have musical talents, but to all of God's people. And um, when, when uh, I, I remember when I was a child and, and uh, mom had a, Mom played music in the house all the time, and she had reel-to-reel uh, music, and it, it was a, a, a great memory for us. And so we, we always had uh, uh, music in, in our apartment, and uh, she would get up in the morning and just change the reels out. And, and one reel was like three hours of Beatles music, and it would just, you know, be running through the house. And so, you know, you can almost start any any uh, Beatles song, and I can name that tune in two notes. <laughs> I, if, if they said, we're going to have a beat, I, I'd be like, I can name that tune in one note. Bing, yeah, E, yeah, Penny Lane, that's it. Penny Lane is in my ears and in my eyes. There, and, 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 I, and I can name that tune two notes. Bing, bing, Strawberry Fields. For, yes, I got it, right? I, I, I would win whatever it was that they were offering, right? Two notes or more. And so occasionally I would be singing through the house. And I'm not a singer. But I would be singing those songs. And my mom would say, Doug, I like it when you sing. She didn't say, Doug, I like the way you sing. She didn't say, I love the way you sing. She said, I like to hear you sing. 
that tells me a lot potentially about how God feels about us when we sing. We may not feel like we have much to offer, but when you lend your voice to the choir of God, it's a beautiful sound before him. God is seeking, he's looking for those that worship. And worship, of course, includes more than singing. It's really easily defined this way. Whatever we do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. That's worship. That's our spiritual service to God that Scripture calls us to live out. So our response to God's goodness, to his grace, to what he's done for us in Christ, how he has taken that which was lost and he's restored it and he's redeemed us and and he's building us up and he's chosen us and he's called us and he's equipped us and he's put in treasure in this earthen vessel is my response is worship. God is seeking those that worship him. And worship isn't a location if you go back and you read the text and Jesus' conversation with the woman from Samaria. She was hung up on a time and a place and Jesus said, don't let that bother you anymore because the time has now come when God is seeking those that worship him in spirit and in truth. So it's anywhere at any time and it's for one reason, it's because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of our worship. So whatever we do in word or deed, we do all to the glory of God. How does this impact our witness? It's a witness within itself. When our response to life's challenges, troubles, tests, and trials is to worship and not worry, it's a witness to those that are around us. And it's very healthy for our spiritual well-being and our emotional well-being. Our response is worship. So in case you didn't need that, I'm going to say it again because it's very good for Doug to hear this, that worship is a remedy for worry. And some people say, I can't help but worry. And I said, if you start worshiping, if I start start worshiping, if we start worshiping, it's we can't worship without getting our eyes on him. And when we get our eyes on him, look, come magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. When that happens, he's in the midst of us. So as I said earlier, the enemy wants to silence us and God wants to ignite a flame within us and pour out his spirit upon us and fill us afresh and anew. So God is seeking those that worship him in spirit and in truth. And he comes and he dwells in their midst. The second response, I believe, is found in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And this is after Jesus' resurrection. And he's been uh, equipping his uh, followers and disciples and apostles uh, for his soon ascension uh, to the Father. So after Jesus' resurrection, he was he was here on the earth for 40 days, and he was teaching about the kingdom of God. And then at the end of that time, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You shall receive power. The word power there could be translated ability. It's not our ability. It's his ability. How? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be a witness. You will have the ability to be a witness. You will have the power to be a witness. Let me say this. I think you'll have the want to to be a witness. 
Uh, when the Spirit of God comes upon us, we are changed. We are changed into different people. And from faith to faith and glory to glory. So God's Spirit not only dwells within us, but he can come upon us. And we're not looking for some kind of manifestation to come upon us. Let me explain to you the simplest way and the most practical way that I sense that the Spirit of God comes upon us is that you'll have an answer for people's questions that maybe they don't even know they need answered. Your conversations will lead them to find answers to the questions that they have that they don't even know need to be answered. And that's the Spirit of God working through you to help serve other people and to help people come out of darkness into his marvelous light. The opportunities are as unique as we are at home, with our family, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our community, in your travels, in your recreation. It just makes itself evident that this is an opportunity for me to be a witness for the glory of God. Now, a witness simply just shares what they've seen and experienced. And each and every one of you are a witness or you have the grace of God upon you to tell your story or to give your testimony. So if I was called to a witness stand in a court of law, it would be because of this. I had seen and experienced something, and what I have to say brings validity and helps the story to be complete. And your your side of the story is a significant side of the story. Uh, I was uh, driving to work many years ago, and there was an accident that took place at an intersection just in front of me. Um, and so I had some time, so I pulled over, the police officers came, and the police officers began to ask, are there any witnesses to the accident? And I said, well, I saw it. And they said, what direction were you coming from? And I said, I was, I was coming from the south going north. And they found four different vantage points of people coming from different references. Why, why is that important? Because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything can be established. See, your witness, along with somebody else's witness, along with somebody else's witness, allows God to work in that person's life. So don't be a silent witness. Don't be one of those that say, I'm too busy. I got to get to work. Vroom. Someone was in an accident. I knew my boss well enough that, and I had a little time. I gave myself a little buffer time, you know, to get to work. I knew I wasn't going to get in trouble. There was an accident. I stayed to be a witness. We are worshipers. We are witnesses. We have tasted, we have seen that the Lord is good. So how can we not talk about the one that we have seen and tasted of. For we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believed, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So all of us should join the great choir of worshipers in singing, but beyond singing, we should 
be living our lives for the glory of God in word and deed. Secondly, secondly, we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to have, right, the courage, the strength, the boldness to share the gospel. And we can because of the person of the Holy Spirit. He's not asking you to do a, apart from him, but with him. And then 1 Corinthians 3, 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. And let me share with you why your worship and why your witness is so important as you find 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9 is because Scripture plainly says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then it goes on and says, now all things are of God. What all things? All of the new things in the new creature who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, his son. Then it goes on and it says that he's made us ministers of this reconciliation. So not you were reconciled to reconcile others to Christ. So let me put it this way, that. Being in church is a good thing, but being in church doesn't mean a person's in Christ. I went to church for years as a child in a denominational church and never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ until I was 13 years of age. And in this particular church that I went to, they had a new minister and he shared the gospel. My brother and I looked at each other and we said, it's the first time that what we've heard in church actually makes sense to our life. Unfortunately, we, we, you know, the story goes sort of sour from there. After we left, after we left service that particular morning, uh, you know, we went home. We, we were with our mom. We shared with her that we really enjoyed going to church. What we heard was really helpful. It was truthful. It was light. It was liberating. And, we wanted to go to church the next Sunday. So we did. When we went to the church the next Sunday, one of the bishops from the region was there and got in the pulpit. And he said that last week uh, we got together and we decided to let so-and-so go, the minister there. And I looked at mom and I said, the only guy that ever made sense, they fired. So why is our witness so important? Why is our worshiping so important? Because it brings light to those that are in darkness. See, I was in church, but I was in darkness. I sat there, but I didn't have the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Until someone shared the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, I was still in a lost condition. I was still being destroyed by sin and ruined. And the enemy was still coming in and ravaging things from me. And I was still deceived. And But the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, came to me that day. Then I'm so thankful it followed up several months later with a coach. And you know from there I accepted Christ as my Savior in an FCA meeting in September of 1976. So that was just a few moons ago. All right. First... Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, for we are, everybody say we are. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. We were created in Christ Jesus, Scripture says, to do good works. 
Just as our Savior went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him, we need to be doing the works that Jesus has called us to do. We need to be utilizing the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the graces, the desires, the opportunities that God gives us to share, to preach, to minister to hurting people, to minister to the sick, to help the downcast, to help the oppressed, to help those that are demonized, to make disciples and to serve others in his name. Gospel work is never done. It's, a, it's an endless job description. Here's the job description for the church. Go into all the world. It includes everyone and includes the whole world. And so it's a big assignment, but there's a lot of us that if we become more proactive, the work will be done more readily, right? Many hands make light work. What, what's a challenge right now for the body of Christ is getting them engaged because maybe we become a little too comfortable sitting on our blessed assurance. But there's still a group of people that are in the world that was once where you and I were, and that is lost. And being lost is a hard place to be. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the gift that was given has to be received. And how will they believe unless someone go? And how will they receive unless someone share the message with them? So therefore, we're compelled to respond to God's grace and mercy by being worshipers, witnesses, and workers. The old uh, spiritual, Negro spirituals, you know, you know, they sang, who will go work for me today in my father's vineyard? Who will go work? For me today. And it's echoed. And there's a refrain all throughout the song. Who will work for me? And I, all three of these are intertwined. They're, they're not one or the other. I think one and the other and the other all are sort of part of that divine entanglement, that ball of yarn. And so, uh, I want to close by just sharing a short testimony and then we're going to be praying for a couple folks before we go. Uh, when I accepted the Lord, so I was 13 when I accepted the Lord. You can do the math if you want to know how old I am. Uh, so uh, when I accepted the Lord, there was an instant change in me. Uh, I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.17 was real. If any man be in Christ, right? That was me accepting Christ and Christ coming into my heart. And that was by invitation through faith in what he had done. He is a new creation. I became a new creation. I, I, not everything changed, but desires did change. So I had a good friend named Frank. You've maybe heard of Frank, but for those who haven't and for those that are online and you want to know a little bit about Frank, Frank and I were partners in crime. On our way to school every day, we rode our bikes to school every day, uh, Frank and I would stop by Marie's Market. Marie's Market was a local candy store in between our home and the middle school that we went to. And when we would go in there, one of us would cause a disruption or a distraction while the other one would go by and take as much string licorice as they could out of the string licorice container. Remember back in the day when they had a glass container and they had a string licorice in it? Well, I would go to the back of the store, Frank would go to the back of the store, or we'd recruit somebody else, and we would, you know, 
have a disruption. And then Marie would have to come back because she ran the store by herself and we took licorice out of there. What was I doing? I was acting out my nature. I was a sinner, therefore I was sinning. I was selfish. That's what sin produces in us, selfish. And it was all about me. And so we would steal licorice or candy bars or any other item that we could get our hand on. Now, we always bought something so that she maybe wasn't privy to us, but I think she was, but she was a really kind lady. I say that because years later, she she shared that with me. So <laughs> I wasn't a very good thief. Uh, she was just a very gracious store owner. But this is what happened. I'm telling you, the week after I accepted the Lord, uh, Frank and I are driving to school, and he says, all right, hey, hey, it's your turn, and you have to go and disrupt. And I said, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he says, what do you mean you can't do it? I said, I can't do it. He said, "What? you've always done it. I said, I, that, 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 I can't do it. And he said, what happened? And I said, last week I went to FCA meeting. I told you I've been going to FCA meeting. He said, yeah. And I said, last week I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I said, yeah, it, it's not right. It's not right anymore. What was going on? I couldn't, I, I couldn't really put words to it, but it was light. I wasn't lost anymore. The blinders were off. I knew. And you know, I knew it was, I knew, I knew there was right and wrong. My mom had raised a morally good kid. I knew the difference between right and wrong. But you know, I really struggled with the difference between good and evil. And there's a difference between right and wrong and good and evil. Right and wrong are, are like ethics, morals. Good and evil is like sin and righteousness. And I became righteous. I didn't know much about righteousness, but I became righteous. And righteous people want to do righteous things. And unrighteous people, keep sinners keep sinning. But saints should be living out their faith because of the grace of God. We should be worshipers. We should be witnesses. We should be workers. Rarely should a minister or a pastor have to get up and ask for, you know, beg a church to help in children's ministry or youth ministry. The church should be like, hey, ministry is helping. Let's get involved. Outreach, what? Personal or church-wise, right? It just tells me we need to rekindle the flame that we're not our own. Our life has been bought at a price. Therefore, we should glorify God. And, and I'm not talking about you being super snotty or, or super spiritual or, you know, Ed, what are the three things? We don't want to be super sweet, super slick, or super spiritual, right? <laughs> we don't want to be any of those things, brother. Um, but we want to be, what we want to be is honest and truthful witnesses. So in the course of me going to middle school and high school, because of the fabulous aspect of social media, part of it is fabulous, I've stayed in contact with many of my classmates. And I can tell right now, and many of them will listen to Monday Minutes and comment or they'll log on occasionally to a message, but I can name right now, I, I could name 20 of my classmates that while I was going to school did not know the Lord, that now know the Lord, and have gotten in contact with me throughout the years through Facebook and said, Doug, you were one of the first witnesses. I wasn't the last. I was part of the link on the chain. But Christ took my witness and somebody else's witness and somebody else's witness, and they now know Jesus. And these were people like Frank, 
and Scott and Melvin and Victor and Craig. And the list goes on and on. And I didn't have the privilege of praying with many of them, but many of them through a simple witness of light of Jesus Christ now belong to him. Recently, Shar and I went to visit my mom and went over to see a friend that I had not seen in 35 years. And as I sat in Brad's living room, he said, you were one of the first witnesses. He is now leading music. He's a praise and worship leader at his church. Woo! Brad was our second baseman. Boy, he was fast. He's also lost. And if he didn't have Christ, he also would have gone to hell. So he was more than a second baseman to me. And he wasn't a project, and I didn't try to fix him. But I became a worshiper of God and hopefully a better witness and still a good worker. And that's how we respond to Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.